Thank you for listening to Overcomers Church International Weekly Message. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened as you hear the Word of God. I asked Liz if she would do this with me, and we, we, uh, she said, she said yes. So, again. Uh, not the, yeah, again. So, um, <clears throat> but she said she didn't want to stand up. So I said, all right, well, we'll sit at a table. So I hope this is all right with y'all. Just kind of like our living room conversation, something like that. So, um, so basically what we're going to do over the next several weeks is talk about marriage and family and a lot of different things that are involved in that. And so we love, as a matter of fact, we really have a heart for, uh, for marriages and for family. I believe it's one of the biggest things that's under attack in our world that really always has been. And we're going to get into some of those things. So we really have a heart to give people some understanding and some wisdom about how to have healthy marriages and, and families. And so we have walked through a lot ourselves. And so one of the questions, I asked the Lord this just a few days ago. I said, what qualifies me to minister and share on marriages and families, especially the marriage part? Uh, because I, I don't, we don't have a perfect marriage. Somebody on one of our, we made a little video yesterday and somebody said something to the effect that Kent and Liz have a perfect marriage. And I can assure you that we do not have a perfect marriage. And so partly I- Partly perfect. Huh? We have a partly perfect. perfect. The, me, I'm the part that needs to change. She's perfect. So anyways, um, so we don't have a perfect marriage. So I said, Lord, what qualifies me? And he said, it's because you've learned how to work through the conflicts and things that have come up. And so Liz and I have gone through, just like anybody else, gone through a lot of things in our marriage and life and family, but we've just developed the ability to be able to work through those things. And that really is what, what makes a successful marriage is when you'll come to the place to where you'll say, no matter what hits me, I'm going to, to work through it. Right. So, yeah. I mean, we made a commitment and we said that this is what we're committed to, to work through whatever comes our way. Yeah. As a matter of fact, the whole thing about till death do us part, I think I'm going to, when I do weddings, um, I'm going to change that and, and begin to tell people that dying starts now. Yes. I, I sent her a message recently. Um, in a good way. Yeah. I sent her a, a message recently, a text message the other day. And I said, you are dead. I'm trying to talk spiritually. <laughs> Quit thinking about sticking a knife in me. Okay. Oh, that's what I heard. I sleep with when one eye open. That. You are dead. Yeah. So, but I sent her this message and I, I just heard the Lord so clear in this. And it was, and I was asking what makes a successful marriage? And he spoke to me and he said, it's two dead people living together. It's really true. When we learn to die to ourselves and prefer yes. the other person, things work out. And so anytime I've done marriage counseling, it's always trying to get one or both parties to stop being, stop being selfish it just die to yourself and prefer the other person and things work out. Amen. Well, all right. <laughs> so you are dead. To so me. let's try to be funny here for a moment. Um, so we want to just want to tell you just a little bit before we get into this. Oh, and by the way, so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about marriage and family for a few weeks. And then week four, uh, Scott and Amy are going to come and share with you about their perspective on, on all those things, whatever the Lord's going to have for them. And then before I forget, uh, we have these cards. If y'all, get, if y'all got a bulletin, you should have one of these cards in your bulletin. And uh, it says June is marriage and family month. And it's got space there for you to write 
question or questions. So please do that and drop them off at the Connect counter. And then the last, we have five Sundays this month. The last Sunday, um, Liz and I are going to answer as many questions as we can, because that's a really great way to be able to communicate some things that you guys might have questions about. And as we're going through it, just keep the card out. And if you think, man, I wish I'd, I'd like to know more about that. I wish we could have more clarity on that. Then just write the question down, submit it. And then we're going to go through that the last uh, the last Sunday of the month. So, yep. and we'll try to hit all of them that we can. So that's that. So we just wanted to share a little bit about um, our story. So give them the correct version. <laughs> what, what version do you want? Just the correct the, one. The correct one yeah. that I, what you want me to so say. So basically, all right, well, I'll give you your opportunity. <laughs> basically, um, since we were 12 years old, she was obsessed with me. Um, and she told her, I told you, you know, I just felt like it is. No, but she, um, she told her parents when she was 12 years old that she was going to marry me. I really felt like the Lord said, you are going to marry me. And him. listen, so any 12-year-olds or anyone, they I would say, I, was crazy. I would say under 16 for sure, maybe even under 18, and you, you know, parents, you, you judge that. But um, if your kid tells you that, then you just probably need to say, don't say stuff like that because that's that's pretty wild. However, it However, worked out pretty good. We did get married, yes. and so but for a twelve-year-old to say that is pretty uh, pretty interesting. And so we first started our relationship. We were going out when we were twelve. She lived in Kansas. I lived in Missouri. Neither one of us could drive, uh, nor had we hit puberty. I don't think even at that point. I don't even think we really wrote each other letters. Either. The only letter I got from you was there a letter was not from text. your friend Texture. saying that you had a sister a new baby sister and oh, that you right. were busy and you were moving on in your life and you found somebody else. That was the only letter I had, I had received at that point. So anyways, oh, fast forward, that. fast forward a little bit. And then we're 15 and, um, I'm not, I'm going to try not to get into the whole, uh, uh, teens and dating thing at the moment. We're going to hit that later on, but, um, it was a rough seven years. I do yeah. not encourage dating well, actually at all, but especially for seven years, and we're going to get into that a little bit right. later on down I kind the road. Of like, you know, because I, I felt that way, I just gripped so tight, I think. Katie actually really didn't like Liz whenever we were, we were going out or whatever. We're not bringing her into this. But it's true. She really didn't <laughs> like Liz. And so, but now what's interesting is that as, as after we got married, Katie and Liz have become really you know, great friends, but Katie had good reason not to like Liz because she was very like, you know, your mind kind of thing. And so, um, would you like to tell them a little bit about our, our relationship before we got, got married? Oh my gosh. Just a, so, li- just a little snippet of what it's so, like. We're going to get into more later. Yeah. But. but I thought, you know, I, I had a journal and so I just, I, I wrote in my journal and just not too long ago, I was, uh, looking back over some of my entries and I was like, oh my gosh, this is just crazy. It's funny and then it's, you know, so I encourage you if you don't journal to journal because it's really fun to go back and see where you were and see what you were thinking. And, you know, there's good stuff that you can glean from it and um, you can watch. See, I didn't have to journal because I basically had one thought the whole time we were dating, but we won't get into that. Yeah, let's not get into that yet. So anyways, this was, what, July 14th, 1998. Ooh. <laughs> and so I had journaled about some Some of y'all are like, I wasn't even born then. I know, then. I know. That's so crazy to think about. So I had journaled about some other stuff, and then I said, well, I guess to go on, me and Kent are still together. 
I just realized it's almost been eight months. One year is going to pop up before I know it. I have this feeling, though, I'm not going to be able to handle this relationship much longer. <laughs> I, I cannot even remember thinking this. That is what's so funny about it. Um, I know every relationship has its troubles, but Kent is very troubled, and I am not sure... <laughs> We were so troubled at 16, oh my gosh. Um, troubled, I'm not sure I want to deal with it much longer, but I don't see a way out. I guess I feel trapped. I mean, every time I sit... Listen, the feeling was mutual, by the way. <laughs> he felt trapped, I felt trapped, anyways. Um... I mean, every time I sit down and think about a way out, I can never find one. I don't know. I guess all I can do is pray about it, which didn't, I mean, it just showed my understanding about prayer. Anyways, um, but I'm almost to the end of my rope. Pretty soon, there's not going to be any left, and it's going to be unraveled. <laughs> I think that's so funny. <laughs> But, you know, you read There's my, redemption here. We're, yeah, still, we're still married. We're still married. Or we got married and we stayed married. And then, but then, you know, a couple, a little bit later, I'm like, oh, it's been a long, this is November. We've been together a year, and I was like, I guess I didn't find a way out because I wasn't supposed to. I love him. <laughs> That's it. I yeah, mean, there's so much. Yeah, there's a lot, and there's a lot. And so when we were in high school, we had a lot of letters passed back and forth that were mushy and gushy. Because we and passed so letters, we didn't have phones. We didn't to have text. phones to text or whatever, so we had to actually write out a letter. So I have a whole, I have a whole package of letters with all these hearts on it and all this coloring. I on like it. to doodle. Yeah, a lot. So, so anyway, so things progressed forward, and we got married. And basically, I was, uh, we were both a mess when we got married, and I, you I even really was. didn't. I mean. You, you didn't necessarily know if you were making the right decision. I didn't. Two days. Th yeah, like three days, I think you said. Two days, Thursday. It was Thursday. We got married on Saturday. So two days before we got married, I'm trying my tuxedo on. And uh, my dad is in the my bedroom, and I'm just, you know, trying the jacket on and whatever. And I, sat, I looked at him, and I said, uh, do you think I'm making the right decision here? And I thought, my God. I know. Looking back, days. it had been se seven years we've been together, and two days before the wedding, I'm asking, did I make the right decision? And so, uh, anyways, there's a whole there's a whole lot of story behind all that. And so, but you need to know you're making the right decision for sure. But I'm, I just thank God that the Lord uh, somehow or another caused Liz and I to get married in spite of our stupidity. Yeah. Because it is awesome what God's done in our yes. life since then. And so we just yes. we have grown so much in our relationship with the Lord and our relationship together. And so it's been. Uh, it's been really fun, but when we got first got married, I was an absolute mess. I was. I thought I, he I was troubled a, at sixteen. I had yeah. <laughs> I had a major approval addiction. I was looking for the approval of man so bad and dealing with serious rejection issues, which I won't go into all of that stuff. But, anyways, the redemption of the Lord has been really awesome, and so we've had you know we've had a journey of whatever, which we won't get into all the details of. But look, no matter where you're at in your marriage and your family, there's always hope for redemption in it. Yes. And if you just go back to the very first thing I just said, if you just come to a place to where you get to the end of yourself and you prefer the other person, that's what causes the relationship really in essence to work right. And a lot of times people say, well, I'm doing that, but the other person isn't. 
Well, then you just have to stay in that position yourself and trust God to work on their heart. Amen. Yes. So I want to give you, and we've got this up here. We're going to, we're going to jump into the, the ministry here. I want to pull this up here. This is our goal for everything that we're doing here over this month. And I just want to throw this up here so we can pull the goal up. Here's our goal is to help create healthy, blessed, kingdom-minded, productive families. Amen. And we need to see a major shift happen in the family in, we'll just say, the United States for certain. And we look at all of them. We talk about the different mountains that are in the, or the areas of influence that are in our culture. And family is one of them. And as Liz and I were at this conference um, a few weeks ago, and we've shared some things with you guys about it. And I asked her the question when we were looking at the statistics about how that Christianity is becoming less and less and less and less as the generations go on. And we were talking like, what is the problem? Where does the problem lie? And we really believe it's in the family, that the family is the thing that is under attack and has been under attack for a long time. And we need to know how to stand in the midst of the perverted world that we live in. And underneath of the attacks and the assignment of the enemy, we need to know how to be able to stand against that. And at the same time, we also need to have You know, there are principles that we live by in terms of marriage and how we go about things. But, you know, families need to come back to a place of having absolutes. And we have people that, you know, and I believe it starts from the pulpit, and this is why we're doing this. But we have moms and dads that aren't teaching their kids about absolutes, such as there is only one God and there's only one way to him, and it's through Jesus. And then you get into what is titled as social issues, such as ab- abortion and gay marriage and all, all kinds of things. And we see everything is getting really clouded, and the line for things is getting really messed up. And it's because uh, parents probably don't feel equipped a lot, but a lot of them are confused themselves on these issues. And we need to have some, some absolutes come back into the home to reestablish the family the way that God intended it. And so we see this major attack even on, even on families and people you know, redefining what, what makes a, a marriage and a family. And the truth is, is that God has designed and set up what makes a family is one man and it's one woman coming together and creating children. Simple as that. There's not any other, there's not more than two genders, just so you know. I heard recently that there's like, they claim that there's like 200 or 300 self-identified genders. There's only two genders. One is one way and one is the other way. And it's just as simple as that. But we have all of this confusion. And in that comes the breakdown. And the, really the enemy's plan is to attack the family. And so we feel this urgency in our hearts to really um, begin to talk about how to, how to gird us up to where the family is not under attack. So yeah. my, or, or how to withstand the attacks that would come yeah. to it. Amen. Yeah, we have Amen. to begin conversations. And I mean, we're doing this in our own home. And so that's why we want it to spill out onto you all is because the conversations have to happen if you guys if we don't tell you then you don't know i mean you can know if you spend time with the lord but yeah it's our job yeah so i want to go here to genesis chapter 12 and i believe we can pull this up here and just look at really what god's um intent for family even before we go back into genesis which we're going to get that into the weeks weeks to come but looking here in genesis chapter 12 genesis chapter 12 and verse 1 and this is what god said to abram before his name was Abraham. He says, get out of your country from your own family, from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. 
and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You know, I've read this for a lot of years, and it wasn't until recent that I realized that God's really, his plan was for families to be blessed. It wasn't just to bless a church. It wasn't just to bless individuals, but he's always had a plan for family. And if you go back and you look in the garden, uh, God created a family is what he created in the very beginning. And so the enemy has been, has been clamoring all of these years to try to disrupt the central focus of what humanity is all about, and that is about the family unit. So I have a couple questions here that I'll, we'll give the answers to, but what's going to lead us into some really important things. Um, so the question is, why are families failing? And the simple answer is, is that marriages, um, marriages are failing and they're not healthy. And so then the next question is, why aren't marriages healthy? And, and here's where we're going to go for today is that husbands and wives are unhealthy as individuals. And when I say unhealthy, I mean that the individuals are broken and their relationship with the Lord has been broken and therefore they can't come together and offer each other anything. Right. And so unhealthy individuals make for an unhealthy marriage. And I want to look here in Genesis chapter three, Genesis chapter three, are you all with me still? This is going to pick up here, don't worry. So Genesis chapter 3, and just look here in verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in that day you eat, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Here, right here, is the breakdown of what's happening with humanity. He was attacking not their function, but their identity. Because yes. he said, the day that you eat of the tree, then you will be like God. The truth is, is that Adam and Eve were already as much like God as they could possibly be. God had and has two arms and two legs and a head, and he has a mouth and he speaks and God created Adam and Eve in that same way. And God also has a realm of authority. And it says that he gave Adam and Eve authority over all the fish of the air. The, oh, the fish of the air. The fish of the sea. Well, that would be incredible. The fish of the sea, the birds of the air. I mean, there are flying fish. And there are flying fish. That's what I was getting at. And all of the, the cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, he, he gave them authority. And so God made Adam and Eve in his image. And so they were already as much like God as anything that had ever been created ever. When the enemy came in, he came in to attack them in their identity. And he got them to believe that they weren't something that they already were. And so I beckon to you today that say, to say that this is the thing that is under attack more now than anything, and it's people's personal identity that they have in the Lord is under attack. That's the thing that people are questioning. And so what happens is that the, the people, and I use myself for an example, 
that we get our function and we get our identity confused. We say that we're a dad for me. I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I'm a pastor. I'm an apostle. I'm all of these things. And we say, this is who I am. But the truth is, those things are not who I am. And if you're a dad or a husband, you're a carpenter, you're an HVAC guy, you're a concrete guy slash helicopter guy or whatever, that's what you do. It's not who you are. Who you are is a son or a daughter of the Most High. And that is where our identity lies and in that alone. And so what's happened is that our identity has gone from being in him to being about what we do. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with saying that, you know, I'm a dad or I'm a pastor or whatever. It's not wrong to identify with those things. But my true identity lies in him and my relationship that I have with him. And so if we if that part of us is shaken, it shakes our ability to be able to shape and to function in, in the function that he's called us to function in. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so Adam and Eve literally had their identity stripped away from them because they believed the lie that they were missing something that they already had. Do you know that when a baby is born into this world, that they are born with no ability, no reasoning, and they're totally, completely dependent upon the mother and father that brought them into this world, right? And when a baby is born, and we've got a couple fresh new babies in here, and when, they're, when they come out, it's like, oh, and it's just the most amazing thing in the world. So you fast forward 25 years when they start their career, and before that, they graduated college or learned a trade or whatever, before that, high school, before that, middle school, before that, they played on a baseball team, and they learned how to ride a bike, and they finally went to, you know, on the potty, and they did all of these things, but before they functioned and did anything, you bring it all the way back to the very core of them, they came out, and they were immediately not only accepted, but they were in, in awe over by the ones that brought them in. And I believe that this is one of the tricks of the enemy is to get people away from that basic foundation that would just like when we have a baby that comes into the world, do you know that that baby, even when they grow up, the identity that they have for my children, the identity that they have that they belong to me, regardless of how bad they are in their function, they'll always be my child. And as long as they can understand that, they can always come back to dad's table and get anything that they need to help them in their function. It's the same way in the kingdom of God. When we come when we come out of the world and we're born into the kingdom of God, right? Because that's how we come in. We don't come in any other way. We put our trust in Jesus and we're born again. We have a new birth that takes place. When we're born into the kingdom, it has nothing to do with our function. It has nothing to do with our ability. It has everything to do with the fact that the father chose to make a way for us to be born into his family. Another analogy is adoption. And so that looks like he chose us also. But either way, we've come into the family of God, and that is the basis for everything that we do. That's where our true identity lies. It's not that I'm a pastor. It's not that I've started a church. It's not that I'm a dad. It's not that I'm a husband. It's not any of those things. That's what I do. That's my function. But my identity is I'm a child of God. So when all of the stuff 
goes away and everything becomes problematic in life and I, and, I, and I run into the issues, I always find myself coming back to this one thing that I'm loved by God, I'm accepted by him, and he cares for me no matter what. Yeah. You know what the highest level of Christianity is? Here's the highest level. The very highest level that you can get to is knowing that you are loved and you are accepted by him, yes. period. There's not anything you can do in your function, your role, and how you perform in life that will cause you to be any more or any less accepted by him. We're accepted and we're brought into the family of God as sons and daughters because of what he did, not because of anything that we did. Our only part was saying, yes, God, I need you. That was our only part. And that right there is the basis for everything that we need to function in life. And so when you go back all the way back to the very beginning and you look at Adam and Eve, what was the very first thing that was under attack? It was their identity. He said that if you do, if you do something, if you eat, right? It was, a, it was an action, it was a work, then your eyes will be opened up. The truth is that they were already as much like God as they could possibly be. What was the temptation? you know, however many, we'll say 4,000 years later, what was the temptation that Jesus had? The temptation wasn't to eat the bread because remember that he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Then he went into the wilderness. Know this, that anytime you get empowered to do something by the Lord, it's always gonna bring you into some kind of trial or conflict, almost always. But remember that God's empowered you to be able to go yes. through that thing because we learn way more through conflict. And I'm not saying that God's bringing us into curse and problems. I'm not saying that, but life throws stuff at you, right? Yes. God knows what's coming up down the road. But we learn way more through conflict and through things than we do during the good times. That's just the way that it is. But if our mind's right in the process, we can learn everything that God has for us. So Jesus was empowered, just a side note, by the way, Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit and he, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be, to be tempted. And the temptation, it appears that it was for Jesus to eat because he'd been 40 days without, without food, right? That appeared to be the temptation. And then the other one was that you could throw yourself off the temple, you know, the, the top here, and the angels will take charge and the, they'll, they'll catch you and carry. It looked like that was a temptation. But if you read carefully, Satan says, if you are the son of God, then you can do these things. He was trying to get him to question the position that he was already in with the Lord. Yes. And I'm telling you, this is the root cause of why families are in such disarray because let's face it, in the church, overall, families are as screwed up as in the world. Statistics show it. Marriages are as screwed up as in the world. Statistics show it. So what's the problem? The problem is, is that we come into a relationship with the Lord and then immediate, immediately our identity gets under, gets under attack. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, the enemy works so hard to keep us from getting saved, but then once we get saved, then he tries to convince us that we have to do something to really be a son or a daughter of God. I got news for you. You're a son, you're a child of God, you're a daughter of God, just because you chose to allow him to choose you. Not for any other reason. And if we can come back to that foundation to where our identity is set right and we operate from a proper identity, it will cause us to be able to relate to our families, to relate to our spouses in a proper way. Yes. 
Amen. Amen, yeah. Amen. Definitely. Yeah, because, I mean, our identity and, and what Kent's saying, that, you know, we have to understand our position because everything should flow out of our position. And if he can steal our position or actually just get us to change our focus on something else and not where we're really seated with the Lord, then he can, everything else then becomes that we're performing out of our function instead of out of that position and then that's where you aren't in overflow and that's where frustration comes mm -hmm. from and you are troubled mm -hmm. so in john 10 10 it says the thief the thief comes not um, except to steal and to kill and to destroy so when the killing and the destruction part comes in of course we know the rest of the verses that jesus has come to give his life that we'd have it in abundance but if he can get the, uh, the stealing first, then he'll bring in the killing and destruction. Well, what does he steal? Well, he steals the word from us. For example, in Mark chapter 4 reveals that, that when the, just like when the, the seed is sown and the birds of the air would come on the hard ground and they'd pick up the seed, the enemy wants to come and steal the word from us. That's one thing. But as we just looked in Genesis, and then also when Jesus was tempted, he, he's coming to steal our identity. So again, if our identity, which is our sonship, which is just the very most basic thing. If that gets stolen, then everything is lost. So let me but give you, go ahead. Can I just say yep. too, if, and he, that word actually steal there is the word, same word for pickpocket and he's sneaky and you know, pickpockets, they will steal something from you yeah. and you won't even know that it's gone until it's too late. Yep. And I don't want to say it's too late, but it's something that all of a sudden, you know, hours go by and you're like, where's my watch? Where's my wallet? And it's gone and it's disappeared and you don't know where exactly that you lost it other than that it's gone. And that's what the enemy does is because if he can steal it and get you diverted in another direction, then it's like, oh my my gosh, I have to do all this backpedaling to get back to where I need to be, yeah. which is in your position. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. And so the, he, he does the same thing with our identity. And the way he does that is he gets us to focus on our performance, yes. thinking that our performance dictates who we are. Yes. And so for years, I'll just be totally, totally honest with you. For years, um, pastoring, I fell into the trap that so many other ministers did. And I knew it wasn't right, but I was, I was battling how to, to not be there. And it would be looking out and seeing the few numbers of people. It would, be, it would be trying to get something done and nobody would show up to help me do it. It would be all kinds of things related to people being there. And it made me discouraged. It made me upset. It made me um, depressed. All of those things. And a better, a better way to say it is it didn't make me, but I allowed it because yes. my focus was wrong. Right. I, found, I was finding my identity and whether people came along me and supported me, whether people were there beside me and supported me or not. And the truth is, is that my identity is not in you guys. As, as a pastor, as a man, my identity is who I am in Christ. If every one of you got up and you, you left and you never came back for this, that, or the other, whatever reason, it doesn't change who I am in Christ. And the truth is, is that for you, for husbands and wives, even if your spouse isn't doing things right or your kids aren't doing things right, it doesn't change who you are in Christ. So having that foundation there that says, I belong to him and he loves me and cares for me no matter what, and having that as the foundation, you can't be destroyed if that's really where right. you're at, if right. that's really how you think about yourself. Well, and, and I was just going to say too, like if you understand your um, identity, 
identity or your yeah your identity is in the Lord and that the enemy is trying to steal it. What what is ultimately he trying to steal? It says abundant life. Mm-hmm. That's and right. abundant life is manifesting kingdom here on this earth. That's what he he doesn't want the kingdom to be manifested here on this earth. So if he can get you busy in your function and not in your identity, then you can't manifest heaven on earth. Yeah, that's exactly right. So what all this what all this ultimately comes back to as far as having healthy individuals because we're going to talk about we're, talk, we're going to talk about family and family culture and raising kids and all that. But before we get to that, you have to talk about marriage. Because if you don't have a healthy marriage, you won't have a healthy family, period. If the marriage is not set proper, everything else in the home gets disrupted. That's God's designed it that way, right? And so we have to come back to having that healthy marriage. But before that, the individuals have to be healthy. And the only way we can have abundance is if we're connected up with him. And if our identity is in what we're doing and we're constantly seeing how we're missing it, how we're missing the mark, how we're messing up. And our focus is on that. And we think that 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 determines whether we're good or not, whether we're right with God or not, whether we're worthy or not then we're always going to be discouraged and we're never going to function right because our identity is in what we're doing and not in who we really are. Amen. So this comes back to our own personal relationship with the Lord. And this is, to me, this is where the rubber meets the road. And we see this so many times in marriage and just out of all of the hundreds of hours we've spent with people talking on the phone or in marriage counseling or whatever, we always find this this dependency that people have on one another for their, for their spiritual walk. And this is where a lot of marriages run into trouble is that they'll depend on the other person to cause them to be spiritually at a place that's good with the Lord. How many of y'all know the relationship with the Lord is a personal decision? And I know for years, Liz and I, um, and I certainly didn't do everything right. I didn't really know how to love her the way that I needed to, but we had the first probably five years of our marriage I'm not trying to point out anything bad about you, but if there was one thing bad I could say about you, and don't, it'd be, and it'd be an it. honor, <laughs> then it would be, and I'm, I was looking for you to go ahead and take it and run with it. Oh, okay. Yeah, go yes. ahead. Yeah. So, that so it's I, not me saying it, it's right. her. Okay, I'll say. I'll say. I thought, I mean, that I didn't need to have a relationship with the Lord because he was the one that was called, that he, I, I could just coattail off of whatever it is, you know, glean the words that he said, God said this. And I'd be like, okay, that's awesome. That's what we're going to do. You know, one specific thing is, well, no, I'm not going to go there. But um, Oh, go ahead. I do that all the time, and then I just say it anyways. <laughs> no, I was just going to say when we went to a, a conference, an Andrew Womack conference, and at this particular moment, we were really, like, pressing into healing. And you had had some oh, victory. Oh, you could bring this up? Yeah, you had had some victory. And this, this is why a personal relationship with the Lord is so... So important. You're not going to talk about the glasses, are you? Yes, oh, I am. Jesus. I am. I am. Because, I mean, it just goes to show that because I didn't have my own relationship with the Lord and I was going off what you said, it did not work out very well. It didn't. It didn't work out very well. It cost money and time and mm-hmm. I think, you know. They have no idea what you're talking okay. about, so just so, tell them. Yes, so we were at this conference, and he's like, you should go get your eyes prayed for. You'll never have to wear glasses Because, man, again. I had been learning about healing, and I had seen several people healed. And I'm like, anything that was moving that had any kind of sickness, I was like, Pah. Yeah, and it was really awesome because we were seeing victory, and he yeah, was we having, he had like revelation from the Lord. He had revelation from the Lord. Yeah. I just thought, oh, this is awesome. That would be great. 
this, that, I don't want to have to wear contacts or whatever. So I went up and they prayed for me. And then um, I, we went back and I, I threw my contacts away and we smashed my glasses. <laughs> and I was like, I cannot see. There's a book <laughs> called Faith, Foolishness, and Presumption. I should have read that first. <laughs> So and she went around the rest of the time like I can't. No, I, can't I ended see. up having to go. Oh yeah, get get. But until context, then, yeah. But until then, I was like, I cannot see. I. But and he's like, you have to confess positive, and I was like, I can see in the name of Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it wasn't a revelation, and I will say that I have received healing. My eyes have never gotten worse, even though they said that. You know, I could actually be legally blind. My eyes have not ever gotten worse. You obviously are not legally blind because you you knew what you were getting. I when do, you you I saw do. me. And I, I mean, all this, I let you smash my glasses and I still married you. This was like pre-marriage. This was pre-marriage, I yeah. know. But so, I mean, I couldn't, I was trying to take his revelation and make it my own. And I couldn't do that because I didn't have revelation and therefore it caused, you know, harm. Yeah, so we had a lot of years to where I was going 100 mile an hour forward, not right and everything, by the way, but um, I, was, I was really moving forward in the Lord, but she was kind of left in the dust and I didn't walk in love with her and, and help her come along. I just didn't know to do that. I didn't know how to do that. Yeah. But also she was not really concerned about pressing into the Lord. But there, there came a time in our in our Actually, marriage. I, I didn't want to. Right. I, di I didn't even, it, it wasn't that, I, I thought what I had was enough, which was that I was born again, and I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, but I wasn't really pursuing. I love the Lord. If you asked me if I love the Lord, I would say, yes, I love the Lord. If I asked, if somebody asked me, like, your husband's called into ministry, and are you okay with that? And I would say, yes, that is totally awesome. But it was just like, stop. That's it. I didn't really, I didn't care to go any further than that. I didn't know that I needed to go further than that. And I mean, the whole idea about calling has always been like, oh yeah, you're called to preach. But really we're all, before we're called to do something, we're all called to him yes, first. We're yes, all called to have a relationship yes, with him yes. first. So the idea of us going in, in, in a lot of sense, we were I don't want to say we were unequally yoked, but yeah, we were kind of unequally yoked because I was full-fledged on for the Lord and she was back here and I wasn't doing what I needed to to try to bring her bring her along I mean, because I didn't you, understand. Yeah, but if you would have asked me, I would have said that I was like on with the Lord. Right. But I, I wasn't developing. But where, it, but where it really changed is when she came to the revelation that I have to make the sacrifice and make the time for myself to go and spend with the Lord. Yeah. And when it comes to doing that, that's where, that's where, again, it's a personal decision, but it requires it being a priority and it requires yes. sacrifice yes. when you do that. And so tell them a little bit about what that's been like for, for you doing well, that. Well, first off, I mean, I didn't really have the desire, but I knew it needed to change in me. And so I had to ask, I simply just said, God, I, I think I even have this journaled somewhere. I said, Lord, I do not desire to go deeper, but I know that this is right. So will you please give me the desire? And he did. And it was amazing. Like sometimes we just have to go to the Lord. He already knows anyways what we're thinking and if we're angry and if we're upset or if we don't know, he already knows that. So sometimes just laying it out there before the Lord and just having a conversation. And then it's, it's amazing how faithful that he is and how 
much he wants that like that's his desire and so he just you know dropped that on and I began to pursue a relationship with the Lord and it's so easy too because it's sacrifice and you're always going to be sacrificing something so if you want to do something then you don't get to do something else but if you want to do this then you don't get to do that so you it, it's a it's a choice it's a personal choice that we make every day to say that this is something that I'm going to do because I put value on it whatever you value is what you're going to go after and so like if you want abundant if you want to live that abundant life that you see other people living that you see the lord what he talks about in scripture if you want that then you have to actually actively pursue that and that takes sacrifice because it takes you going after it so um the lord just really I just began spending time with him. And, you know, too, a little bit for me, I always felt condemned because he would always get tons of quantity. And I didn't have tons of time, I felt like, to spend with the Lord. And there's a balancing act when you have children and marriage and family. But I say you have, like, once I started making it a priority and I stopped making excuses that, I started actually really seeing the Lord meet me and encounter me and give me revelation more and more and more and more revelation. It's been actually awesome. And so one of those things that happened in the process of that, of of you seeking the Lord, is that we both we both independently were growing strong yes. with the Lord and we're supposed to live from a place of overflow yes. to where what God's doing in us overflows onto the other person. Well, you can't overflow if you're not filled up first. Yeah. So we have a responsibility personally to go with the Lord and say, God, and I know we're already filled with the spirit of God and the presence of God. I understand that, but we're supposed to be filled and overflowing to where other people reap the benefits. And so one of the things that happened by doing that, I was increasing and you were increasing and we're still both continuing to do that, is that we stopped being each other's all in all. And a lot of people don't understand this, is that Liz and I are not, she is not the most important person to me and I am not the most important person to her. Jesus is the most important person for both of us. And I've heard people, I mean, all the time I hear people just say, my kids are just my world. And I'm thinking, my gosh, as soon as they disappoint you, your world is gonna come crumbling down. Or they'll say something like, I just don't know what I would do without my spouse. I just love them to pieces. If they ever, if they died before me, I don't know what would happen. Well, one of you is going to die before the other one. So what's going to happen when, when that does happen? I like what Brother Hagen's wife said. He, he passed on before her and someone had asked her, you know, how are you, how are you doing? Everything's okay. And she said, yeah, I'm doing great. Now I get to do some of the things that he didn't want to do. <laughs> and I thought, there's a lady right there that understands and knows her true identity. My identity is not in her and her identity is not in me. Yeah. I am not her all in all and she is not my all and in all. And it was so freeing actually once I grabbed hold of that cuz I mean that was a process for me. I I wanted him to be everything and take care of everything and fill me and the place that only the Lord could fill See, me. that what that is, is that's called codependency. Yeah. To where when you take your weakness and you throw all of your weakness over onto somebody else to take care of it and offer no, no strength. And I'm not saying she didn't offer anything. She's always offered a lot. But there's a difference between codependency and interdependent. God has actually created man and, and woman to be interdependent on each other. Codependency is, again, all of the weakness 
and stuff being pushed over on one person to carry the whole load. Interdependent is when you take the strengths and the weaknesses of one and the strengths and weaknesses of the other and you put them together and they complement. So where I don't have things she does and where she doesn't have things I do. When you go and you look, and we'll look at this a little bit more next week because we're running out of time, but you look at, at Adam and Eve when, when God took Ad, Adam or Eve from Adam's side and you understand it a little bit deeper than just it was his rib and it really probably wasn't his rib, but it was just in that area that he formed Eve, that what he did was he didn't just, he didn't just take and, and make another person. He, Adam, all by himself was one whole person. But whenever he took Eve out of his side, Adam became half of a person. Mentally, emotionally, physically, in every sense of the word, Adam was no longer a whole person. So now you had Adam and you had Eve, both of them half people. And this is what's interesting is that, that we say two become one. Well, two plus one is three. But half plus half is one. So when you're talking about two, you're talking about two halves coming together to make one whole person. Because what happened was that when God pulled Eve out of Adam, and if you read it in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, somewhere around there, it says that he created he, them. Adam was both male and female all wrapped in one. You have to go read the Bible. We'll maybe get to it another time. But he was, he was both wrapped in one, which sounds weird to our minds because we, we refer to Adam as he, and so we only think of him as the, as the male part. But the truth is, is that there was male and female both combined into Adam. And when God pulled Eve out, he pulled out things that Adam needed. Yes. And he said, now I've made someone who's a helpmeet for you. And it's not the, the woman down here or up here or vice versa with the man and the woman. And he didn't create Eve out of Adam's front or out of his back, but it, it was out of Adam's side because they're supposed to walk side by side with each other. So when you understand this is interdependence, there are things, there are things spiritually with our personalities, because every person is different, that we have that God's brought us together and is a great match, that she has things I don't and vice versa. But even when you just look at men and women, how many of y'all know that there's a difference between man and woman in a lot of different ways? They think different, they look different, they talk different, they have different concerns, they have different needs. We're gonna get into this a little bit more next, next week. Um, but if you learn how to be strong in who you are as an individual in both, then what happens is you come together and the things that you don't have, they have, and the things that they don't have, you have, and you come together and you make one whole person. Yeah. That's being interdependent on each other. And that's the way that God created us to be yeah. dependent on the Lord. And then that's right. That but before it comes to that place, we have to go back to our own personal relationship with the Lord. And I want to close with this verse in Matthew chapter 10, because the truth is, is the half that we are, and I'm not saying we're not a whole person, but the whole, whole person like the Bible describes is man and woman coming together. And the half person we are can only be what it can be with the Lord's help. It can't be that way on our own. And look here in Matthew chapter 10 and in verse 34, I'm going to just read it for time's sake real quickly, well, real quick here. And we could probably pull it up on the screen too. Matthew 10 and 34, it says, do not think that I've come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. This is Jesus speaking. 
For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Yeah. See, people have read these verses and, and I've heard people be very confused. And I was confused about these verses for a long time thinking, man, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to hate my brother and sister. That's not what Jesus is saying. What he's saying is that in comparison to the love that you have for him, for the bearing your cross for him, for the dedication that you have for him, it should look like hate for other people. He's, make, he's making a comparison. He's not actually saying that you need to hate or loathe or, or not like the people that you're around, but he's saying it's to this extreme that Jesus is the most central focus of your life. And when it comes to a marriage, if a marriage is going to have the, the abundance, if the home is going to have the abundance it's supposed to have, the two individuals in charge of the home, and let me throw this in there too. If you say, well, I'm, I'm single, then, then God's able to fill in for where, what you don't have right now in your, physically in your life. He's able to do that. He's an awesome God. Amen? But just for the sake of simplicity, if those two people are going to come together, and they're going to have the strength that they need to have. It always has to come back to them being totally dependent and reliant on the Lord. Yeah. That requires us. This is where it gets serious. That requires us saying, God, I'm going to stop putting everything else first. And I'm going to start putting you first. I'm going to start, stop putting my kids first. I'm going to stop putting my wife first. Yeah. See, people have a hard time with this. Yeah, I know. Because then that, that becomes actually an excuse Yeah. for you not. I am doing everything. I am putting all into my marriage. I'm putting all into my kids, and I don't have time for anything else. Well, you have to make the Lord a priority because out of that is you're going to be able to get into overflow and actually give them what they need. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah because you're going when you're going back to your relationship with the Lord, you're going back to sonship. And you're going back and you're operating from your place of identity and not from your place of performance. So when you're, you're saying, I'm giving my family everything that I possibly can, and, and especially for moms. I mean, I have a lot of compassion for, for moms and for wives because when they're, especially when the kids are little and they're taking, because we're in that stage, we've got them from three to 13 right now. I talk so long about just that, that, that aspect that even you can't let your kids be an excuse because, you know, it's, we have the ability to think while we're doing mindless activities, folding laundry and dishes and vacuuming and whatever, that we can meditate on the word over and over and over and over. And that is then how we get revelation. The Lord that's can right. speak to us through that. So we can't make that an, an excuse. Yeah, that's right. So you need, you need to watch your meditation as you're going throughout the yes. day. But there also has to come a time where you just get alone with Jesus, just you and him. And so that's where priorities have to be set right. And so you have to stop making your family the all in all. There might be some nights, ladies, where you just need to give uh, your husband um, the frozen pizzas and say, stick them in the oven and me and Jesus are going to go on a date. I need you to take the kids for a few hours or however you need to work that out. It's yeah. important that you prioritize and take that time and go to be with the Lord because he's, he's where our life comes. And this verse we just read, it says, he who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life will find it, uh, will, 
life will, uh, for my sake, will we'll find it. And so when it comes to finding life, we have to lose, we have to lose it first. And most people, when you ask about what is your, what consists of your life, what's your life like, they're going to tell you about all of the things that they do. They're going to tell you about their job and their, their, their relationships, function. Yeah. their function. They're going to talk to you about what it is that they do, but that's not who you are. Yeah. That's not what determines where your life comes from. Our life comes from him and it comes from him alone. So we need to stop being tricked by the enemy and being pulled to the left or to the right or all these different directions and being focused on things. And I'm not saying you, that you disregard your family. You gotta take right, care of right. your family. You gotta change the diapers and cook the meals and go to work. You have to do all of those things, whatever it is. But if we don't stop making excuses, then we're never gonna have the abundant marriage that we want. We're never gonna have the abundant life in our family that we really want to have because the enemy is out to steal that which is most important, which is our personal relationship with the Lord. This isn't deep, but it's real simple and it's really important because this is where people are missing it. I mean, I've been walking with the Lord for, I mean, I got born again when I was seven and I've been walking with the Lord since then, basically. You know, the most difficult thing, my most challenging thing, what's my most challenging thing that I- Getting time with the Lord. Getting time with the Lord. After all of these years, it's the most difficult thing. Why? Because the enemy fights it. Because if you get time with him, he cannot win. It it changes everything. That's right. In your whole life. Yeah. When you get time with him. Yeah. And so one question, you know, somebody, I'm I'm motivated by like, requests or I don't know what the charge is like so somebody posed this question to me is that and I like sleep a lot and I didn't want to give up sleep and he said or somebody we're talking said, 10 hours a night yeah I know I know I just said I like sleep okay um what would it look like for you to get up 30 minutes earlier yeah would you be willing to sacrifice 30 minutes and I will tell you, since I've done that, it has been amazing. And like, it's not every day isn't perfect all the time because we have kids. But when you've actually like set yourself <laughs> to, you know, to it, and that's like that's your desire and that's what you're going for, it is amazing what God, how how God has met me in that yeah. time because yeah. I have, I've been obedient, but then I have sacrificed. Yeah. Yeah, but it doesn't feel like a sacrifice. Yeah. Once you get into it, because then that's where all the life comes. Yes. So, yeah. Amen. Well, we're really, we we're kind of out of time. I so know. I felt like we were just kind of getting I on know. a roll. But anyways, we're out of time. And so we'll do more next week. And so we're going to talk about, get into probably even some meatier things the next couple of weeks. And it'll yeah. be, it'll be really good. And um, we've got, we've got an awesome video. We're going to show you our engagement video of when I asked her to marry me. You guys are going to get to see that. So we have some fun things that are coming up and. Uh, and it'll be, it'll be really, really good, but yeah. make it be, be, and we're just, why don't you just stand real quick and we're just going to bless you, but make it a priority for your family's sake, yes. for your marriage sake and stop the devil dead in his tracks and make a determination that you're going to get that time to go and be with the Lord. Because what happens is that when you get time with him, it reassures you of who you really are and who you really belong to. Because if all we do is we stay in our function and focus on our function, we see all of our flaws. We see all of our issues. I am not a perfect dad. I'm not a perfect husband. I'm not a perfect pastor. I'm not a perfect anything that I do. 
But I, what I am perfect at is being a son because my sonship is dependent on how good he is, not on how good I am. And when we come back to that place with him and just say, thank you, Jesus, that you love me, that you care for me. And even though I've, I've messed it up and I've blown it and I said something to my wife that I shouldn't and, and I didn't walk in love, like whatever the situation is, you can always come back and have the stability and that's what will cause your function to become greater and better and more blessed because you always go back to that place with him. Yeah. Super simple. But how many of y'all know that we need to hear this because we need to do it? Who agrees in here that this is one of the biggest struggles that we have in life is to find time with him? Well, in the name of Jesus, Father, I thank you for every person that's hearing this, that they will, they will in Jesus' name find time. Nope. I thank you in Jesus' name that they are going to make time for the most important thing, which is time with you, connecting with our creator, connecting with the one that loves us, connecting. God, before we became servants, before we became anything else to describe who we are in the body of Christ, before any of that, I thank you that we were sons and daughters of the Lord most high, of the greatest father of all. And I thank you that we find time to come back in fellowship with Daddy God and sit on his lap and let him pour over us and lavish his love on us to cause us to have strength and to live in the abundance and overflow. In the name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Love you. Thank you for listening to the weekly message. To find out more about Overcomers Church International and to hear more messages like this one, please visit our website at ociperryville.com.